All right, welcome. All right, guys, well, we, are, we have a very important message this morning in Mark chapter 4, 1 through 20. as known as the parable of the sower, but as you'll soon see as we break down this message, you'll see that it is truly, it should be called the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils. And this is an evangelist encouragement. As we think through strategies of going out and sharing the gospel in both our workplace and campus and with those around us in our neighborhoods, we need to be reminded again, why is it that so many people reject? That is the question I want you to keep in the back of your mind, is why is it that many reject Jesus? And it is important that we don't focus on the sower this morning. We don't focus on even the seed necessarily, but on the soils. Jesus is showing us something about the soils in which the seed lands. And so turn with me to Mark 4, verse 1. Before we get there, I want to just share with you uh, a couple of reasons why people do reject the Lord. You know, as we're going through the Gospel of Mark, one of the things we're seeing over and over again is that uh, people were disappointed at this Messiah. Why? Because they weren't doing what, he, he wasn't doing what they wanted him to do, which was to overthrow Rome. And, and, and they wanted him to, to release them from the bondage, just like their ancestors with Egypt or Babylon or Assyria. And Jesus wasn't doing that. And even they, not only did he have people that were, were angry with him or frustrated with him because, or disappointed with him because he wasn't doing what they wanted, but also he had people following him perhaps for the wrong reasons. There were miracles and healing and he had incredible authority in his teaching. Undeniable power. Undeniable power. If, I, if many of us were walking and following him around, we would have no doubt in our mind that he was a miracle worker. He fed the 5,000. He, 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 he would uh, stun the religious leaders with his teaching. He would raise the dead, like in Lazarus. And it, was, it would have been an incredible scene, but yet it wasn't meeting the people's expectations. They had someone else in mind. This can't be possibly the Messiah. We're still in bondage to Rome. And then, of course, you know at the very end, it says in 1 Corinthians 5, or 15, it says, at the resurrection, he appeared to 500. Where were the rest? Where are those 5,000 plus people that were fed. Then even worse, I guess you can say, is the day of Pentecost, there was 120. Think about that. That's mind-boggling to me. That this person, there was no one like him. No one like him in the, in the history of, of Israel. I mean, they had great prophets, they had teachers, priests, and kings come and go. No one was like this person, this God-man. And yet at the end, there are hardly anybody following him. They were scared, the doors were locked, waiting for the Holy Spirit. Of course, we know the rest of the story as we studied the book of Acts last semester. They turned the world upside down. But why so little followers? He had a lot of fans. He had a lot of people interested in the, the benefits of following Jesus. And, and, you know, there are a lot of benefits even today, churchgoers and meeting a lot of nice people. Perhaps even, uh, you know, people giving you, helping you out, giving you food or maybe even finances. But then when push comes to shove, they leave. 
Why? I don't know about you, but I, do you ever ask why? Is that ever, I mean, you know, I guess I, I have somewhat perspective because, you know, as we planted the church about 10 years ago, nine and a half years ago, we, 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 we saw people come and go. Now, I'm not saying that people found a better church, and I'm sure they have, and we, you know, people leave and, and, and for all sorts of reasons, but, but I would see people who gave their life to the Lord, who trusted Christ, who had, as Hebrews said, they experienced the Holy Spirit, they experienced the benefits of the kingdom, but yet they left Christ. They left the church. And I don't know where they are today. You do enough of that. You have enough years in the ministry. You just, you just think, it's disheartening. And you're like, why? What do we need to do? You know, as you get into the strategy meetings, I've been a part of churches like that. I've been a part of meetings like that. What do we need to do in order to reach them? What gimmicks do we need to come up with? How can we plow the soil a little bit more? How can we soften people's hearts a little bit more? What do we need to do to grow the church? So we buy church growth books. We change strategies. And Jesus is saying, you're missing it. You need to understand a few things. Before you go on your little church growth strategy thing, I want you to listen to this message. Because Jesus is the one who sows the seed. He's the ultimate preacher. But he's also raising up other preachers, isn't he? His disciples. They too will be a part of this. It says right out the gate, Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God and preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins. But he also understood, I'm going to be leaving soon. I'm going to be sending the Holy Spirit and they will be empowered by my spirit and they will preach the word And they need to understand. And as we get started in this year, you need to understand how the kingdom works. You need to understand how this works in evangelism. You need to be encouraged as an evangelist, because we all are. We're all called to make disciples. You need to understand how this works because so that you don't grow weary and get tired and discouraged, for one, on one side of the spectrum. You don't go crazy with the church growth techniques and manipulate the soil or worse alter the word or the seed right so a couple of things just off the top just two 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 small things that would probably give us a little insight on why people reject thus far in the gospels you look at john 12 and he says this this, number one is the fear of man and number two discipleship cost you'll always find those in fact, maybe that's right here in the room. Maybe we have no people. Or maybe you're on the verge of that. Maybe that's you. You're like, man, I can't handle any more fear of man. I'm, about to, I'm, I'm hanging on a thread here. John 12, 42 to 43 says this, Many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. Interesting. For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, out of church. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. In John 6, 66, as a result of many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. The fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. The discipleship costs. In fact, Luke writes here in Luke 13, 22 to 28, very fitting for this passage in Mark 4. And he was passing through from one city village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem, and someone said to him, this is the same probably question that the disciples had even in this moment, was why Jesus gave the parable. Lord, are there just few who are being saved? Why? I, 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 mean, I just don't get this because you're, you're incredible. I mean, we've never seen anybody like you. I, I mean, how are there just so, so little? And he said to them this, Strive to enter through the narrow door. 
For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I I do not know where you are from. And then you'll begin to say, we ate and we drank in your presence. Perhaps you were a part of even the feeding of the 5,000. You heard the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, maybe you were part of even the outreaches itself. It says here, you taught in the streets. And he will say to you, I tell you what, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. That will probably be the saddest scene in the entire universe from beginning to end. Can you imagine? I mean, these people are not like, I don't know if he's going to accept me. These people are confident. Hey, you forgot me. I have a seat at that table over there. Really? You remember the other parable? As they got into the wedding, they just walked in there thinking they were a part of the wedding. Hey, who are those people? Did they even, are they, did they get the invite? How did they even sneak in? They're not dressed right. Bind them up, hand and foot, throw them into hell. Why so little? This haunted me in college. I, I couldn't tell you how many times. I mean, I'd read this, and it would, I'd be shaking. I would call friends and be like, is this me? I remember multiple times. Even when I graduated, I was like, I read this again. Is this me? I, I do not want to stand before Christ one day and him say, I never knew you. He's not talking about people of the world, guys. He's not talking about people who are, you know, visibly lost. He's talking about the ones hiding in church. He's talking about the ones sitting in these seats. That's what he's talking about. The ones who are confident. Hey, I just died. I'm arrived here. Let me in. Sorry. Can't do that. Why? I did all these things. Can't do it. Why? I called you Lord. I sang songs. I knelt at the front. I cried. I gave money. I went to San Francisco. I did exactly what John told me to do. Sorry. Can't let you in. Why? Because you practice evil. I mean, anyone could hold doors open for old ladies. It's a nice thing to do, right? Look, these people were not born again. They were not truly transformed. And therefore, in any little discomfort, they were done. Whether it was internal pressure or external pressure, it's game over. But they held on to their title as Christian because there was benefits of being a part of the church. And I'll tell you another reason is because you're, people are just, just plain old simple. They're deceived. And the God of this world will blind people until the last day. Until the last day. So Jesus helped his disciples. He helped them understand why Israel rejected him so much. Why people avoided the narrow path. And he helped them by telling a parable. And he began to teach them. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 here. He began to teach them again by the sea. 
You know, and this is right after they tried getting Jesus because he was, he'd gone crazy, remember? Like, we're going to do this man a favor. We're going to come and take him, bring him back home, feed him some food, get him some sleep. But he didn't listen to them. He went on and taught. And he eat in such a very large crowd gathered to him, and he got into the boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. So he was being pressed again. And of course, we, we knew from passages before that he, he would do this often. He would get into a boat because it would just be, he would be so crowded. So you have some distance between him and, and the people into the water. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and he was saying them, saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Now that's a very important word. Listen to this, not just like listen with your eardrums. This was like, in the Greek, hyper. It was, it was like hyper listening. What that just means is don't just listen with your, the mechanics of your ears, with which your soul. He's about to say something very important, isn't he? Now, all Jesus' words are important. But this is even, if you don't understand this prayer, you'll understand nothing, is what he's saying. This is like the key to get into the, the library of information and revelation of Jesus. So listen to this. Now, parables just mean, it's two words, parabolo, which means to lay something aside alongside something else. It's by way of comparison. Teach, great teachers do this, even today, by way of analogy, by illustrating. And so what, and, and he, he, was bri- he was a brilliant teacher, and so he gave an illustration that they would all understand. Farming. They would understand farming. Now, before we get into this, I want to share with you one important note here that I think we'll hopefully play on for the rest of the message. But in my study, I, I found something very interesting. And I had to do extensive research in this because I wanted to make sure I got this right before saying it. Today's farming... It's plow first, then seed. This is very important. In Palestine, ancient Palestine, which we're talking about here in the first century, it is seed first, then plow. That's very important. Because a lot of church growth gurus, what they say is, we got to plow the soil a little bit. We got to, we got to, we got to, it, it, it's, it's an Arminian thinking. It, 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 it's a, it's a way of saying, hey, we can toy with the heart just a bit so that they would receive. It, it's, it's like the first, I've said this before, the, the first great awakening was about preaching the word first and then God opening people's hearts and producing an emotion. They were undone. I mean, Jonathan Edwards would say, there's people shaking, people undone in the presence of God. That was genuine. People could do that as long as it's genuine. People could fall. Whatever, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about like the hyper-charismatic stuff where we're making people do that. But I remember just studying uh, a lot of Edwards' works, uh, you know, religious affections and, uh, you know, the, the revival, uh, many of his books, many of his works. And I was shocked at just seeing how people's manifestations People shaking and crying and were, they were undone in the presence of God. It was beautiful. He also said at the same time, he look, there are going to be people that manipulate people into doing that kind of stuff. And not every time you see people manifesting that way is a true work of God. The Distinguishing Marks of the Spirit is a great book. Hard to get through, but wonderful book. You want to know what true revival is? I remember telling people that. I was like, look, this is what true revival is. I don't care. We'll still play our music. We'll still do the smoke machines. We'll still, like, play on people's hearts. They're fools. Because they don't listen to truth. You don't don't touch the soil. You throw the seed. That's not our job to manipulate people's hearts. We, we don't do that. That's not, we're, not, we're not in the business of manipulating people's hearts. Don't touch the soil. Don't get the plow. That's God's job. The second great awakening with Charles Finney, 
which some scholars say borderline heretic, would manipulate people. So his philosophy was, as opposed to Edwards and George Whitfield, his philosophy was get the motions stirring. Get, I mean, just massage people's hearts and then drop the seed and it'll work. You see the difference between the first great awakening and the second? Massive difference. Massive difference. Not even close, the same. We're on the former, not the latter of that. Because we want to see true conversions. You know, it, it makes us feel good when we see a bunch of people running in the front. Oh, wow, look at the revival and all that. Hey, you know what? Look, we'll, we'll see here in a moment what true revival actually looks like and how very few there are. This is meant to be very encouraging to us. Sobering, yes, but encouraging. Encouraging. And Jesus before he releases his disciples to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've commanded, taught you. Before he releases them at the very end, after the resurrection, he wants them to understand this important principle. Because he doesn't want a bunch of manipulators out on the streets of Jerusalem. He doesn't want people like, oh, you know what, that didn't work. To, you know, I, I gave my heart. I shared the gospel. I did what I could, and it's like, that, that's not working. Okay, we got, we got to sh- sh- switch the strategy. No, 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 no. Be encouraged. You did your work as an evangelism. Evangelist, you did your work. You sowed the seed. Leave the rest to the Lord. Amen? So, as we get into, by way of introduction, I just wanted to at least show you that The sower didn't know how the soil would take the seed. We don't know that. That is none of our business. Every time we go out and share the gospel, our business is to not alter the word and not manipulate soil. We take the seed of the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we go out and we throw it at people's hearts. God will do the plowing and the growing. Amen? That's incredibly assuring. That's so freeing. I'm so thankful to hear that. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this passage. All right. Where are we at? For For the intercessors in the room, please pray for that the sun would stop now. Listen to this, he says. Behold, the sower went... Out to, the, out to sow, as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Now, that's just, I'm, I'm going to go quickly with this section here, because we're going to get to the meaning of the parable. So, section one is the parable told. Section two, the parable's purpose. Section three is the parable's meaning. And so, the seed by the roadside. So, what that means is some, you know, as, as, the, as the sower would sow, uh, just they, they would, there would be certain parts of the fields that would be packed. It would be uh, hard. It they didn't have any pavement. They didn't have like a cement truck coming in and, and paving roads or anything like that. But be, because of foot traffic, and, and remember in, in Mark 2.23, Jesus actually walked on this road near the crops, if you remember. And it was hard, packed soil. And so when the seed would fall on it, 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 it they, now remember, they would plow it later. But they couldn't even, they couldn't even, uh, the seed had no chance to get into the ground and even to be plowed. Before it even was plowed, the birds came and ate it and snatched it. And those that the birds didn't snatch, eventually foot traffic would, would trample over the seed and it would never have a chance to even grow as a seedling. And the birds would, uh, and so in this time, they, they would be throwing seed and the birds would kind of be, waiting for the farmer to get out of the way. And as soon as he got out of the way, the bird would come down, snatch up the seed, and fly away. And so you can almost even make sense of this even already. But we're not going to get to the meaning yet. We're just going to lay down the groundwork here. So number, uh, the second part of that, the seed, verse 5, another seed fell on the rocky soil where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because had no depth of soil. 
And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Here, it's very simple. It's very obvious. Uh, when, you'd, when you look at the soil back then uh, in ancient Palestine, you'd see there's, there, it would be very rocky. Um, it's not like, you know, what you see in Iowa these, these, or Kansas. You see these nice flat rows like that. It doesn't, if that's not, don't have that in, as a picture in your mind. But we don't know. Sometimes it would look flat, but we don't know what's underneath it. They would, we were, it would sometimes be just like a little thin layer of soil over the rocky soil. So then we don't know until it begins to sprout. And then we realize the soil is very shallow. And then, verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it and yielded no crop. And there, the same idea, instead of the rocks being underneath the soil, it was deceiving because it looked like pretty good, good soil. And that was, look, the, the, the sower would not randomly just go like this. Don't picture that. It was very careful, very careful they would sow the seed. With the intentions, I don't think there's a sower out there that just wants to sow seed and not for anything to grow. So as an evangelist, as we're, 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 we're careful and we're intentional with giving the gospel. We sow the seed, but we don't know what's underneath the layer of soil. We don't know that. And verse 8, other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up, and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. That was shocking. That was shocking because normally it would be a six to eight fold crop. Uh, in this instance, what Jesus is ultimately saying, 30, 60, 100 fold, uh, it's, it, uh, tenfold was pretty much above average. So you can imagine 30, 60. So this was a pretty sh- shocking statement. This is not normal. Um, this is supernatural type growth here, and we'll get to that at the end. In verse 9 says this, and he was saying this, and he was, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parables. See, even they didn't even understand. So there's grace. <laughs> Jesus is going to explain this to them. And because of one reason and one reason older is because they had humble hearts to listen. They had humble hearts to hear. And he says this, and he was saying this to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside everything in parables. That might sound unfair. You might be thinking, well, wait, hold on. What is this whole concealing, revealing thing? It's concealed to those whose hearts are already hardened. It's revealed to those whose hearts are ready to receive, humble and hungry. Those are the, one, those are the dis- true disciples. So while they were seen, they made see and not perceive and while they are hearing they may hear but not understand otherwise they may might return and be forgiven so there's even hope and even in that passage is saying that okay listen maybe not a lot of people are going to receive but i'll tell you what they there are some that i have marked out for them to receive the word of god and be saved and so the mystery of the kingdom with this passage just means every time you see this mystery it just means the plan of salvation so in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it means this. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Ephesians 1, 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he has purposed in him. What does that mean? It means that people in the Old Testament, they only were given so much. Now in the new, now look, how many of you know that in the Old Testament, people were saved by grace through faith, faith in Christ. They didn't know who Christ was. So there's faith in God, knowing that, yeah, God would eventually send the Messiah. But they didn't even understand that the Messiah would take away sins. And so this mystery has now been revealed to you. This wonderful mystery, this mystery, and we even sang about it earlier. This mystery is the plan of salvation. But I'll tell you, this mystery is only revealed to those on the inside. And who are those on the inside? those who are humble and able to receive. Those who listen, what, not with just their eardrums, but their, their hearts. Matthew eleven twenty five. consider yourself blessed if this is you. Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. It's even great pleasure for God to hit, hide these things. You might be thinking, well, that's really unfair. 
from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. That's why Jesus says it is good for you to be childlike. In fact, you cannot get into the kingdom of God without being childlike, can you? Matthew 16, 17, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, if you're sitting here and you love God and you're reading this word and you're like, this is so good, and your heart's being stirred, that is a gift. That is grace. But if you're sitting here being, I am repulsed by this. Not good. Not good. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness is the one who shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge and the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, it's grace. And then Jesus, not only he reveals this truth to us as believers, but he hides the truth from unbelievers. Those whose hearts were hardened, which was quoted, this Isaiah passage, which he quotes here, um, he quoted six times, it was quoted six times in the New Testament, all in the same context. Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, he says this. And he said, go tell the people this. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of, this, uh, of these people, render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. In other words, Jesus was giving pretty heavy truth it's weighty, but he says, look, for all you guys going on on campus sharing the gospel, it might seem very, very difficult, and you're up against a massive mountain, but by faith, that mountain will be removed. Understand, God has people prepared to be saved on that campus. Understand, he has people to be prepared at Siemens, Robin Hood, all the jobs that you have, I mean, there are people there. So, you know, what I want, don't want you to have as a church is be like, yeah, no one wants to be saved. Just us at Antioch, Orlando. No. It's not your job to save anybody. It's God's job. You be faithful as a sower. You be faithful. Because there are people, when you have this confidence that God has marked out from before even you were born people that would be saved in 2022. Partner with him. Don't go before him. Don't go after him. Partner with the Holy Spirit in step, share the gospel, and he will save souls. Do the work of evangelism. So Jesus now explains in parables to his disciples, this is why people reject the gospel, because they too would participate in being a sower. And so let's move on to the explanation. Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? So in other words, you need to understand this, and it was a gate to get in to other parables, other revelation. The sower sows the word. So we know that the seed is the word of God and Jesus' words. These are the ones who are beside the road, where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And so the first one are just, we're dealing with hard hearts. You've seen this on, on campus. You've seen this on international missions. You've seen this in Japan. When you share the word, they run away, right? They're dropping the Bible. Ah! No, 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 choto, choto, you know, choto, choto. There we go like this. Is there a way to say, no, 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 I don't want to hear this. We get those responses. Those are real responses of people. They don't want to hear this. They've already made up their mind. The bird has come down, snatched the seed, and they're off something else, leaving that person totally in the dark. Now that should grieve us. Why is that? Because they're dead. Ephesians 2, 1 to 2, it says, you are dead in your trespasses. You're born as sons of disobedience. You're in the lap of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 11.14, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. There is a massive deception on this planet right now. Massive deception. And I'll tell you, 
as we get more closer and in, in, you know, the end time started when Jesus resurrected, ascended, and it's happening now. 2,000 years has been the end times, okay? So I'm not saying the end times is like tomorrow. It's now. But uh, the, the deception will get worse and worse and worse and worse. And you cannot be shocked when someone just says, forget it, go your own way, I'm not interested in your religion. Like, that should grieve you. But understand that that is one of the four possibilities. J.C. Ryle says this, there are myriads of professing Christians in this state of soul. In fact, many. There are hard, there's hardly a church or a chapel where scores of them are not to be found. Sunday after Sunday, they allow the devil to catch away the good seed that is sown on the face of their hearts. People come every Sunday in America. People listen to the word and they walk out unchanged. Week after week, they live on without faith or fear or knowledge or grace, feeling nothing, caring nothing, taking no more interest in religion than if Christ had never died on the cross at all. And in this state, they often die and are buried and lost forever in hell. This is a mournful picture, but it is only true. Such clarity. Number two, verse 16 to 17. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. These are the guys at the conferences. These are the ones who are like, they're crying. They're like, I'm in, man. I'm selling my whole life to the Lord. I'm going on every trip. I'm doing everything. I'm serving the next week. Put me on. Let's do this. It's so exciting. Tell everybody what they did, what their decision was. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are, they're only temporary. You can underline that. Temporary. Then when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, Immediately they fall away. Trials and affliction and persecution. This is external pressure. This one is speaking of external pressure. This is like family. What did you do this weekend? What? This is, I didn't raise you this way. I don't want to hear about Jesus. Perhaps it's a girlfriend. You call your girlfriend. They're going to be so excited. I'm going to be a better man because of this. And they're like, you know what? I, I, I don't need this. It could be a husband. And now you're stuck in that marriage. Hey, I, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I'm not, I, my, my life is changed and transformed. Your spouse is like, you're not taking me to church. You can have your Jesus. And now they're like, either Jesus or my spouse. Uh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. The root did not go deep, did it? So many people are in this category. So many people. In fact, the word fall away is scandalon in the Greek. It's a scandal. I mean, these people are in Joy filled. And look, guys, this isn't like day one, they give their life to Christ. Day two, they fall away. We're talking, this could be years. This could be years. It's undetected. It's like a, a centimeter is a year. You know, the, 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 it's about this deep, the soil. It's just like they're going a year one, year two, year three. Then persecution comes. Trials and tribulations. External pressure. I don't know about this anymore. I can't handle this anymore. I got to get out of this. So much easier being lost. So much easier. R.C. Sproul says this. He calls a story of, of uh, his conversion night. On the night I was converted, my best friend also made a professional faith. Before we went to bed that night, we both sat down and wrote to our girlfriends about our conversions. However, when we woke up in the morning, my friend had completely repudiated what he had embraced with joy the night before, whereas my life was changed forever. John 8, 31 says this, 
Jesus says to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue, underline continue, that's minnow. It's a, it, it means to uh, abide with Christ. That's where we get the same word in John 15, abide, continue, remain. It's all the same, stay. In fact, it even, it even goes further. It says lodge. You're lodging with Christ. If you lodge with my word, if you continue in my word. In fact, it says here, if it's, it even says that because of the word, I was persecuted. And so I abandoned the word. But yet for believers, you stay with the word no matter what. You stay with the word no matter what. Then you are true disciples of mine. Stay close to the word. Stay close to Jesus. First John 2.19, if you find this to be true of yourself and you find this to be true of others who have, who have not remained, listen to this. They went out from us, but they d- were not really of us. For if they had been with, of us, they would have remained. If they were true disciples, if they were truly saved, they would have stayed. How many of you know left? You know, I'll tell you what, when you're ministering long enough, you will see people commit this sin of apostasy. But they went out that it would be shown that they all are not of us. You might be thinking, well, can you lose your salvation? No. The Bible says very clearly you cannot lose your salvation. But the Bible also says that if you supposedly gave a profession of Christ and left, you were never saved. You were never saved to begin with. Ryle says this, these, these, they are they on whom preaching produces temporary impressions, but no deep lasting abiding effect. They take pleasure in hearing sermons in which the truth is faithfully set forth. They're not a problem with sermons. Or, you know, I, I, like the, I like this guy. I like the stories. I like this, that, you know, whatever. They take pleasure in hearing them. They, they can speak with apparent joy and enthusiasm about the sweetness of the gospel. They could talk the talk. Right? I mean, they can catch, they, 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 can, they, can, they can keep up with the conversation. Right. Because the sun hasn't come up yet, has it? They can talk about the sweetness of the gospel, the happiness which they experience in listening to it. And they are moved to tears even by appeals of preachers and talk with apparent earnestness of their own inward conflicts and hopes and struggles and desires and fears. But unhappily, There is no stability about their religion. They have no root in themselves and they eventually don't endure to the end. There is no work of the Holy Spirit, real work of the Holy Spirit, that is. Their impressions are like Jonah's vine, which came up in the night and perished. You remember that little story? Comes up and then it withers away. Or like Hosea 6, 4, their goodness proves as the morning cloud or the early dew. It's there and gone quickly. The religion has no more life in it than a cut flower. It has no root, so it withers away. See, believers are called to endure to the end. That is all of our calling. Guys, it should grieve us greatly when people just up and go and live a different life. I'm not talking about people who just leave the church. I don't know where they're, the state of really where they're at. I cannot judge that. But I'm talking about people that you know who have given their life to the Lord, who have participated in the life of Christ and the life of the church and said, I'm done. That should grieve us, shouldn't it? 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Guys, it's coming if it already hasn't arrived. Matthew 24, 9 through 14 says this. This is talking about the end times. And they will deliver you to tribulation, excuse me, and will kill you. How fast we move on from Matthew 24, 25. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know how Jesus died. 26, 27. Oh, 28. Make disciples. No, no, no. Slow down. Slow down in your reading. They will deliver you to tribulation. Who? The government. The government is your enemy and mine. They are the only ones who have the power of the sword to kill. Not your boss, not your family, but the government. 
The government is your enemy. The government is your enemy. Are we to abide by their rules? Yes, unless it conflicts with the scriptures. Romans. So this is what he says. We will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at the time, many will fall away and and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Hasn't lawlessness increased? Have you recognized that? Whereas one said they legalize sin and they persecute righteousness. And the love of many will grow cold. Now what is that speaking about? The love of many will grow cold. That's talking about the love of many, I mean, believers and people's love growing cold towards each other, being offended, but also to the Lord. People say, you know, I'm not interested in this anymore. This is just a too, this is too much. I don't see myself as a martyr. I could never see myself as a martyr. I see myself as a nice Oviedo in, in my nice cushy lounge chair. This isn't for me. And you're right, it isn't for everyone. That's not for everyone. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. And we were waiting for that day. It's a glorious day for some. For others, it's terrifying. Terrifying. Luke 9, 23, 25, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake He is the one who will save it. For what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Of course, it's rhetorical and you know the answer. And others, in verse 18, are the ones whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it will become and he will become unfruitful. Now, what is this? This is internal pressure. The one was external pressure. It has nothing to do with sin. They weren't sinning. It's just the external pressure of persecution caused them to be undone. Now, we don't know uh, that these thorns are there until time. So they look good on the onset. They look great. They're growing. Might be a little fruit here. Before you know, the thorns are growing also with it, and it chokes them out, snuffs out the life of the so-called believer. So this is talking about the sin from the inside. Last one was the external pressure from the outside. This is internal pressure. This is the, the word. This, he's saying the cares of the world. Do you know what the cares of the world are? It draws your mind in different directions. It's distractions. It's the distractions of the world. And God says this, in Ma- Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, that if, if you trust him, he'll take care of your needs. You don't have to worry about the things of the world. You seek him first and he'll add all the other things onto you. Be careful of your heart, worrying about all those little things of the world. Will I be married? Will I have this? Will I have enough here? Will I have enough? And it causes you to be so distracted and you forget God. And don't you think even for a moment that that's not you. That's the deceitfulness. It says the deceitfulness of riches. In other words, don't pride yourself in thinking that you're not deceived. He said he'll take care of you first. So the cares of the world, the worry, I will provide food and clothing for my people. You seek first the kingdom of God and I will add on all other things. All other things. Deceitfulness of riches. This is, they just promise you something and they, and they underdeliver, right? It's deceitfulness of riches. It means, it, it, Matthew 6, 19 and 20, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth and, and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Live for the kingdom where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve 
two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. It's impossible. 1 Timothy 6.10, 17, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs and struck those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty, uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Look, then earlier in this church plant, we didn't have these fancy jobs, did we? No, we didn't. In fact, we didn't even have houses. It wasn't even an issue. But now it is. Now it is. So should we pack up and go to the ghetto? No. God's called us here. He's called us here. Do not be deceived by these riches. They are fading. Do not just try to climb the corporate ladder. It's foolish. In fact, he says that in, in Luke, your life will be required of you today. Then what are you going to do with all your barns that you build? Be so careful. You know what's happening now? I, I talked to one church member earlier. He's like, you know, the coolest thing in the early days of this church is everyone wanted to be on staff. And now the coolest thing is to have a house. We need to be careful. And I'm not saying everybody's quit your job and join the ministry and all that. That's not at all what I'm saying. I think it's possible to live in this city and to not be deceived by the riches. I think it is possible in this city to be in the game, to, uh, to, to pick up your cross, deny yourself and, and follow him and not try to gain the whole world and, try, and not try to climb the ladder. And it's just like every morning, it's just like I'm in the grind. I got to, you know, compete with one another. Gain more riches and more security and more comfort. It's going to get harder and harder and harder for you to be a part of the kingdom of God. And do not think for one minute that this could not be you. Because look at what Timothy says. They have pierced themselves. They've fallen away from the faith. Be careful, church. This is not, this is not for us. This is not for us. We're kingdom-minded people. And then the lust for other things, the pleasures of life, as Luke says in his gospel. The strong cravings and the sensuality. This is talking about the lust and the envy and the internal sins, the greed and the pride, the spiritual pride, the gossip, the, all those things, the, the, the lust for other things. It's not just the, 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 the lust for uh, uh, material things. We just talked about that in the last passage, but it's the love for the things of this world. It's the sensuality. The clamoring for just the pleasures to feel good, the momentary fleeting pleasures. First John two fifteen and seventeen. Do not love the world nor the things of this world. If anyone loves the world and the love of the Father is not in him, in other words, you're not his. If that is a regular lifestyle for you, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Again, perseverance, endurance to the end. James 4.4, another good reminder, if any man will be a friend of the world, he is an enemy of God. Kill sin. Mortify it. Don't give in. Don't massage it, pet it, keep it around. Kill it. Kill it, kill it, kill it. That is the life of the believer. Number four, verse 20, the last one here. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. 
In other words, these are the truly transformed people of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, underline, which you heard from us and you accepted it, not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. In other words, if you're a true Christian, a believer, it is the grace of God, you've accepted his word, received this word with gladness, with joy, and it's multiplied in your life. And not only that, this should be an encouragement for you as an evangelist, understanding that God still has people who will receive this word. Confidence as we go in, into evangelism on the campus. We cannot lose our pipeline this year. As many are graduating, it's coming. We need to be present on campus. Even for you young adults, please give up a, a lunch hour. You could do that, can't you? You're going to lose your job? It's better than losing your life. Give your life to the kingdom, it's worth it. There are people who need to be saved, there are people who want to be saved. They're ready for the word. God's plowed the soil. He's ready for you. And you're ready for him. Isaiah 6, 8 to 13. I won't read through the whole thing, but he's, Isaiah's getting his call. He's like, here I am, send me, Lord. After he got disintegrated in the presence of God. He's like, send me. And this is what he says. Isaiah, you're all excited about ministry. But I'm going to send you to a people who, for the most part, will reject you. And are you willing to still go? Because people are like, woo, ministry, baby. I just got called by the Lord. <laughs> really? Well, we'll test that. We'll test your calling. And how I'm going to test that is I'm going to give you a bunch of people who are going to reject you outright. And let's see if you're still in the game. And Isaiah's like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it. And it will be again be the subject to burning like a turbinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. There is a remnant in this place. There's a remnant on UCF campus. There's a remnant in this city. God has people, yes, few, but God has people who will be saved. And it's not for you to know who those people are. It's your job to carefully throw the seed. And by way of reminder again, true believer will hear the word, they will bear fruit, and they will endure to the end. Let me say that again. This is you. If you want to, if, if you consider yourself a believer in Christ, you will hear the word, you will bear fruit, and you will endure to the end. That's why there's so many passages that speak about enduring to the end. Guys, this is a race, a long race. I mean, I, you know, there's a part of me <laughs> that wishes I was the guy in the cross. He lived a very short race. And some people bank on that moment in the hospital bed. I'm going to live a life of sin. And they get plowed by a train. And it's too late. It's too late. The man had mercy that day because God opened his heart where the other one got his eyes gouged out by birds only to find himself in hell for eternity. But this man, he's received grace, and today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. It's like Charles Spurgeon said over and over again, no, my text says today. Today, my text says in 2 Corinthians 6, it says today is the day of salvation. And many would say, you know, oh, no, you know, I, Charles, I, I, my heart's a little hard. Maybe next week my heart will soften. He's like, look, I've never seen a heart soften over time. Think about the profound nature of what, that's, what, what he said. 
That just doesn't happen. If it's, if it's soft now, if it's even remotely soft, receive and believe. Because over time, what I know about this world is it will only harden your heart. And you know what's interesting about God's word? Is the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The word of God will never return void. And you might be thinking, well, no, it does. Why why do you say that? Because I I shared the gospel and that person got saved, but that person didn't. So it returned, you know, it returned right for this person, but it, it, it returned void for this one. No, you're missing the point. Because the word of God every time will either harden the heart or it soften it. It will save or it will damn. That is the word of God. So you could trust this word. Because every time it is released from the mouth of an evangelist, it will do something. It will either harden them or soften them. And that's not your job. It's not your job. I have so many more passages, but I'm going to (laughs) stop. I'm going to stop. Just about continuing in my word, keeping my commandments Fruit of righteousness, fruit of the Spirit. I mean, just over and over and over and over again. You cannot be sitting there saying, I have an intellectual yes to the Lord, but yet my, my life is fruitless. Cannot be that person, church. Let the Holy Spirit work on your heart. And if there's places that there's, there's hardness in your heart, allow him to soften those places. Cry out to God, say, God, change me, transform me. There is transformation. I've seen that but there's still so much more to go. Listen to Ryle, what he says, is a true believer. Christ will will be truly loved and trusted in and followed and loved and obeyed. Holiness will show itself in all their conversion or conversation in humility and spiritual mindedness and patience and meekness and charity. There will be something that can be seen. Can people see fruit in your life? Can they see a before and after? Can they see progression? Can they see progressive sanctification in your life? Because a true work of the Holy Spirit cannot be hidden. They hate sin, an increasing hate for, hatred of sin, an increasing love for the Lord. And then Jesus said, These Christians will produce 30, 60, 100-fold. you know what that means? 3,000, 6,000, or 10,000% crop. That's mind-blowing. You know what? The disciples, they're not here to hear this. But I would say they did that. I would say you're a part of that crop. You're all a part of that. We're all a part of it. When the gospel is released and it is empowered by the Holy Spirit, there is a supernatural result. Let's see that this year. Amen? See that this year. Before we close, I just have a few practicals. Number one, Listen and imply this yourself. Like Hebrews says, don't, don't give in to the deceitfulness of sin. Don't harden your hearts today. Listen and obey. Don't you dare just go out there and start sharing the gospel without applying this yourself. Number two, do not mess with the seed. Do not even think about altering the word of God. That is not yours. It's God's. It's God's. Share the gospel correctly. Read good books on the gospel. Read the gospels itself. Number three, do not mess with the soil. Do not manipulate people. Do not use gimmicks. Do not use charismatic hoopla. Do not try to give people goosebumps. Do not do any of that stuff. That is not your territory as a farmer. Number four, Expect the same results as you saw here in the parable. 
Isn't that simple? Expect the, expect the same results. They're going to be people that are hard and won't listen to you. They're going to be people that listen and, 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 and react with joy. And look, in, do, do, don't be cynical. Don't tell them, hey, you know what? They respond in joy. You're like, uh, the parable says here that you could possibly respond in joy and then looks like that maybe. Don't do that. Rejoice. You know what the Bible says? When someone comes home, what? Party time. Party time. You rejoice with them, knowing in the back of your mind, if they were, for whatever unforeseen reason, they were to reject in its final state, we understand what the parable says. Jesus, our Lord, told us how it works. Not the guy on TV. Then, then, you trust God's sovereignty. You go home and you go to bed. Do you remember that time? I think it was in, what, it was in Miami we talked about that? I love that. The farmer just sowed the seed and he worked hard and he went home and he went to bed. That's simple. Theology of sleep. Go to bed. Trust God's sovereignty. Leave the results to him. It's not, my, it's not us. And lastly, God has always prepared hearts. 1 Corinthians 3, we sow seed, we water, and God brings the growth. He brings the growth. Amen. He's sovereign. But he's also called us at the same time to preach the gospel because that is his only method for people to hear and to be saved. Romans 10. Amen. Father, thank you so much. You've given us more than we could ever imagine or think.